So, I mean, yeah, just by the law of scoring margins, you would have been better off playing NAU. Because out of every program other than maybe Southern Utah, they get crapped on the most. Is like if we drop teams, they're getting dropped. Being able to become like a basketball power or say, well, we won the basketball title in the last couple of years, like that'd be a huge thing for them to be able to start leaning on. Welcome back, Tribe, from the North Brave and Bold to the official unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals and the home for Idaho on the Big Sky Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Hammond, and with me today, I have Brian Marceau. Hey, guys. Good to be here. And we are joined by special guest Lance Hartzler uh, from the Arizona Daily Sun. How you doing, Lance? I'm good, guys. How are you? Good. Did I get that right? The, the Arizona Daily Sun? Yep, you got everything right. Even my last name was right. <laughs> I practiced. I practiced. Uh, <laughs> today we are going to be previewing the Big Sky Basketball Tournament, which is why we have Lance on. Uh, he, he, Even though he is the beat writer for NAU, he does a re- probably the most encompassing job outside of the state of Montana of covering the Big Sky in basketball. Uh, so we figured he's a great guy to get on here. And then, obviously, Brian and I are going to continue our spotlight series, and we'll be breaking down the 2020 offensive line. But most importantly, today's episode, like every episode, is brought to you by Montucky Cold Snacks. Ain't nothing like cracking a Montucky Cold Snack, an ultra-refreshing light beer born in majestic big sky country. The best part is when you crack a snack, you're giving back. Montucky Cold Snacks donates 8% of all profits back to local causes, even right here in Idaho, supporting organizations like the CW Hogs and the Idaho Food Bank. Yeehaw, that's Freaking awesome. Montucky Cold Snacks, the Latin American log for Pow Pow Rippers, Gator Wranglers, Pony Riders, and Badass Do-Gooders. Visit MontuckyColdSnacks.com today to find out how to get your ass some snacks. Right into Around the Bar. We got some... Well, final games from the men's and women's hoop season that break down. Uh, the men were at home against Weber State and Idaho State, and the women were on the road. The men losing to Weber State 72-64, and the women winning 91-57 to at Weber State. Uh, also, Idaho State, the men actually snuck out a very competitive win, 80-76, to and the women pulled out a win, 61-50. to goes to show you how little I know about basketball. I said the men were going to beat Weber and lose to Idaho State, and it was the complete opposite. Brian and Lance, while we have you on, if you, you want to feel free to jump in on any of these conversations before we preview the Big Sky Tournament, but uh, what happened? Weber State, Idaho State, how did the teams look, and how did we get uh, three out of four Ws? Weber State was pretty similar to a ton of our games this year. We trailed by nine at half so it was a solid showing for us uh, but you know our offense is just not particularly great we scored 29 in the first half gave up 38 and since we are a team that like if we don't get to 70 we're not going to be that competitive we got a 64 so hey we lost there you go weaver state was they played with Jarek harding he's their best player but he was injured as he's been for a ton of the year uh, harding had a rougher game for him scoring 16 points on 17 shots and then for us uh, you know, Trayvon, he closed out his regular season career in uh, you know, pretty damn good fashion. 
against Weber. He scored 32 on 20, 20 field goal attempts, also picked up five rebounds, three assists. Uh, but if we scored 64 and Trayvon scored half, you can put together, he, again, just didn't get that much help. Um, Idaho State was a different story. That game was competitive the entire time. Now, it was truly, and I don't mean this hyperbole, it was the battle for last place. Whoever left Moscow with a loss would be the number 11 seed in the tournament. Uh, tied at halftime, 38-38. We held on uh, 180-76. Big game for us out of Trayvon again. Scores 33 points on 20 shots. Uh, so for reference point, that's 63 points on 40 shots in his last two home games. So congrats, Trayvon. Also also had four rebounds. Scott Blakeney is our second leading scorer there. 16 points and 13 rebounds. Um, but, uh, you know, Lance, I want to throw this to you for a second. I don't know if you saw much of um, any of the Idaho games, but you've definitely seen the other teams play. Um, so I guess any takeaways you'd say Vandal fans should have from staying competitive with Weber and narrowly edging the other Idaho school that's, uh, let's say, in the transition year? Well, I mean, you kind of hit on the nail of the head. If Trevon Allen does what he can do, like score 33 against Idaho State, Idaho can be most of the bottom dwelling teams like we were even can sneak one against NAU. Frankly, they almost did twice. And I pay attention to the Idaho Idaho state game because like you said, the loser plays NAU. I have a stake in that game. I got to pay attention to that. And the most, the most impressive part of that game is the fact that should share maker and Tariq cool did nothing. They were non-factors. Those, that's Idaho state's best players. That's the most impressive part of that whole game out of Idaho. Yeah, the, the other thing which I think fans should take away from this, I have been absolutely bemoaning how we have spent a ton of time leaving non-scoring posts in the paint. We did not do that against Idaho State for most of the game. It appeared that we have reached the point of accepting if Trayvon can't score around 30, we're not going to be competitive. Trayvon had a lot of space to work with, so... If you're looking for a glimmer of hope about Zach Claus, what he's shown us is a little bit of flexibility with how he's willing to have the offense run. Because, you know, spreading the floor, having some pick and rolls with Trayvon at the top of the key. If you're a big basketball fan, that sounds like it's brain dead. We actually didn't do much of that last year at all, and we didn't do a ton of it this year either. So seeing the offense be tailored around that uh, was, a, to me, a step in the right direction. And if we're looking for something generalizable about Coach Claus. Hey, we saw some flexibility. So, um, you know, we're going to be happy with what we have. Um, one, Lance, you have anything else you want to build? You want to build on from there? Yeah, kind of off your point. That's kind of baffling that a team that's built around a score-first point guard that's barely six foot one doesn't run pick and rolls for him to get him free off the bounce. It's just baffling to me. Welcome to the club, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't know if you ever. You, if you didn't listen last year, you get you got to skip me talking to myself for an hour about the ways <laughs> I wish we would have not had that type of uh, offensive running. Then um, uh, you saw us against NAU earlier in the year when we looked better was when we we tried to get easy points in transition because we right, just have they were, right they got free and they got out on the run against NAU because Idaho plays they played a little bit smaller against a bigger NAU team, which and that's important for us if we're gonna score. Um, we have one one score and not really any sharpshooters. That just me that that type of team just has to get easy looks. And 
you know, when we are able to, when we're able to run, that happens. Or when we spread the floor and say, like, look, if if our kind of solid shooters uh, like Damon Thacker and Gabe Quinnett, look, if they can hit enough threes to keep the defense honest, this is our best shot at getting towards 70. Um, scoring 80 points against Idaho State was our D1 high this season. But from there, um, we have some other news to talk about with um, the women's team real quick, which is all big, all big Sky women's team was announced. And we're going to get to the men's uh, Big Sky tournament preview momentarily. But we have, we have a few Vandals who we need to make sure uh, get their names right out. Um, big Sky women's teams announced today. MVP was, and, and Lance, tell me how to pronounce this. Um, if you know how to. I Fallon, do not. <laughs> okay, Fallon Frige or something like that from Montana State. She was player of the year. Uh, but the Idaho news, uh, Gina Markson, sophomore point guard, made first team all big sky. She was honorable mention last year. So a big, uh, big step up from She's Gina. Congrats. So good too. Yep. Man, she, um, I believe I saw a stat that she's that over the last like four games or something, she's playing like 38 minutes a game. Uh, but yeah, G- Gina Markson makes first team. We don't have a member on the second team, but on the third team, freshman Beyonce B or Beyonce Bay, forgive me. Uh, she made, she made the third team. And uh, senior Lizzie Clinker yes. made the third team as well. Good. I was I was sitting there and I was like, I haven't looked at the, the list yet, but I was like, they should have at least got Lizzie Clinker. I will say I'm confused that um, we ha- we put a freshman on the third third team, and she did not win freshman of the year. That's kind of baffling. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how that one either. Darian White from Montana State. And did she make? Um, did she make second or first? No, she did not. No, that's... she she made the honorable <laughs> mention, but that's a reasonable question. That is like, like and who, who? I don't know how they vote on this, because I don't think we got a poll for this. It is the coaches. It, okay, so it's strictly the coaches. Because I can say no in football. No, no, we didn't in football. That's right. It's just the pre. We got the basketball right during that. Yeah, so. we we do preseason. Yeah, they don't trust us with end of year results. Even though we'll we'll point out when you put someone on the third team, but don't give them a freshman on the third team, but then don't give them freshman player of the year. Oh, Nina NAU got newcomer of the year. Nina Radford, a sophomore, and she wasn't anywhere, not even honorable mention. <laughs> so um, I get it. <laughs> to be fair, these coaches are busy coaching all year, so maybe they're not totally in tune with all of it. But yikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but isn't this like so? The Montana men, specifically Grizz fan, has talked about this. It's just a conference call. This sounds like a matter of taking notes. Yeah, on a conference call, Hon- and that's it. And honestly, you should have an SID in the room so that they can actually like look some of this stuff up. <laughs> and because they, they're pretty much the coaches playing SID, they get on the phone call and they're like, "This guy or this gal really deserves to be on the All Conference team." She or he put up this many points and this many rebounds and. Be like, oh, and you already know because he or she tore apart your team, and it's just them selling other coaches. Like, okay, well, I have a really good guard, so I'm not really worried that you seem really sold on your center, so I'll put your center on the second team. Yeah, I don't have a better answer for that at all, uh, but I do want to say before we transition to the men's, um, congrats to 
Gina Marks in the first team, and then Lizzie Klinker and Beyonce B uh, both made the third team. Um, you know, we are to it. We both um, Beyonce and Gina will be back next year. Mm-hmm. So, if you're a guy who thinks who, like us, or if you're a person like us who's been saying our women's team is, look, we we finished as the number two team in the conference, and this was kind of a rebuilding year. Yeah, it was. Um, that's yeah, scary. man, this is a program. This isn't a team that, that wins a few that wins sometimes. And then we have, you know, up and down kind of years. We finished second in a down year, guys. Yeah, uh, we can we can pat ourselves on the back for that. Yeah, I think I saw a great I don't know if it was a tweet or if it was on all vandals, but it said at least one team is earning the right to play in a new arena in a couple of years. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, the girls oh, are worth man. it. They should get the new arena and then maybe the guys should move to Mem. Yeah, we can't move in until we're winning more than seven games a year, uh, five against D1 teams, which is yeah, a great – Got to hit ten wins. Yeah, you got to beat the football team in wins. Like, that has to be a goal. <laughs> Oof. And it's got to – D1 wins. It's yeah. got to be D1 wins. The, uh, you know, beating Evergreen State, um, as fun yeah. as that may have been, I'm just not going to put too much stock in that. Uh, but before we transition over to previewing the men's conference tournament um, – the by the time this podcast airs, the Big Sky will have announced the men's all all Big Sky team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to spend a couple minutes going over with Chris and Lance um, what our our six person all Big Sky team is. Typically, the Big Sky, uh, the MVP, is part of the first team, and then there's five other guys. So, Lance, I'm going to start with you. Uh, you're putting together your first team all Big Sky. Uh, to Tell me a few of the names you think should be no-brainers or that definitely should be in consideration. Well, I'm going to pull a shameless plug because I wrote a really in-depth story on Josh Patton, Brooks DeBishop, and Mason Peatling going into their careers, and that kind of segues into me picking Mason Peatling as the big guy MVP. He's been so dominant. He plays for the best team right now. I think he's the obvious pick in my mind. Then you throw Saeed Pridgett, then you throw Jonah Radabaugh, Holland Woods, Harold Frey, Jared Carding. That's the rest. Simple as that to me. So first off on Mason Peatling, uh, so listeners know, he is, to me, the only post worth including in this discussion. Agreed. 100%. Yeah, because I know, I mean, I don't know who the second best post in the league is. Maybe Josh Patton. Josh Patton averages 13 points a game. I, I think... There, there was a little bit of hype around Patton earlier in the year, mostly because like Sacramento State, Sacramento State scores like nine points a game. Yeah. So he is their leading scorer. That's it. I, I've watched him for a handful of years. I've actually, I'm. He's not bad or anything. I just never thought he was a real candidate for first team. Um, maybe Brooks to Bishop is. I think he might be the second best post to me. I mean, I'd rather have Brooks than. Um, than Josh Patton, but uh, for the first team purposes, Mason Peatling in conference, 18.5 points per game, 10.4 rebounds, shooting a real high field goal percentage. Um, Yeah, 56% from the field. Most of those real close shots, but still uh, pretty hard to keep him out. Um, I'm going to, now I got a question, Lance, tell me how you feel about this. I I wouldn't uh, put Mason Peatling's MVP. Okay. Um, I'm. I would have put Jonah Radabaugh. That's fair. From Northern Colorado, uh, Jordan, Jonah Radabaugh. By the way, I um I took a little bit of heat at the end of last year. Not like big heat. Just a couple people saying like, "Hey, jackass." Um, when I wrote for the <laughs> Montana Mint, 
because Jonah Radabaugh, I didn't include him on any of my teams last year because he shot like 36% from the field and he was such a negative impact offensively for Northern Colorado. I thought that I, I didn't think, even though he was a good, def- he, is, he was like defensive player of the year, I didn't think you, you could justify such a negative offensive guy being on any of the all league teams. That was not the case this year. Uh, Radbaugh averaged 16.8 points a game. I believe he averaged to round six, 5.9 rebounds and 7.4 assists. Um, in addition to being probably the best um, guard or wing defender in the league. Well, and to your point, his offensive rating on Ken Palm is a whopping 118.7. That's very, very high. So pretend for a second that some of our listeners, though we are not anti-analytics, we would need a little bit of context for, like, I accept that's a high rating. Um, Like, around where where does a good rating start there? An average offensive rating is probably in, like, the low hundreds, maybe 90s, depending if you're a good offensive team or not. This ranks 117 out of all Division I players in the country. Okay. So reference point, analytics says Jonah Radabaugh, pretty good play. Um, for our listeners, so question, have I sold you on Radabaugh's MVP over Pete Lane? No, because I go by the theory that it goes to the best team, and I believe Eastern Washington is the best team. Now, Tubbs of the club did pick Eastern Washington to win the league, so we'll pat ourselves on the back there. Um, I picked Weber State in the preseason. I look stupid. Yeah, they had injury issues, man. Um, <laughs> That's I picked right. Everybody in football picked last, UC like. Davis so we all, and Eastern, so people are pretty bad about it. The Big Sky is too unpredictable. I think we all know yeah. that. 100%. So, so for our team, and Chris, um, feel free to jump in with some names if you want. We both agreed. Now, I agree Mason Peatling first team, and I'm guessing you agree Jonah Radabaugh first team. Absolutely. Um, I guess from there, we're both game for Saeed Pridget, uh, yep. the best player for Montana, 20 points a game. Uh, are, did you say Harold Frey or not? I believe I did. Okay. So let's say that we're game on those four. Because I'm game for Harold Frey, uh, top scorer for Montana State, point guard, 16 points a game. Uh, did a lot to carry that team. There's two. There's there's a question for our fans. I want to talk through with you. Of Trayvon Allen, 22.1 points per game. Um, field shot 45% from the field, which as a guard shooting a lot of contested shots, that's a pretty high percentage. Yeah. Uh, as a guard who gets not that much help, 45% relative to what he shot is a pretty high percentage. Um. Downside, he's not in the top 15 for assists in the league, but I'm not going to hold that against him because who the hell is he getting? Someone's got to convert the assist to earn an assist. Right, someone's got to make a bucket for him to get the assist, and frankly, that's just not happening. Yep. So I guess uh, my question is, oh, and Trayvon and uh, Allen averaged 1.8 steals per game. Uh, These are all in-conference stats, guys. did Trayvon make your top, your first team? And if he didn't, how close was he to making it? He did not make my first team for the sole reason that Jarek Harding's team was just a bit better, and Harding was also just as efficient. That's really the only reason. It's hard to make it that high when your team doesn't win games. 
it's just to me that's you have to win games to make it to the first team and all those teams we just listed for the guys they play for they were at the bare minimum top five outside of Jared Hardy and Weber State they were bad but they were still a bit up there compared to Idaho okay so in your mind if we don't need to go through a second team if you have a second team is Trayvon on it oh 100 percent with, if he shot 47% from two-point range, 40 from three, 80 from the free-throw line against D1 teams on that type of workload, that's ridiculous. And if – so he's on your second team. Is he one of your first two second-team picks, meaning, yeah, you thought about him for first team. He's just not quite there. Oh, yeah, frankly, him and Brooks the Bishop are the first two guys I would pick for second team. Yeah, I think if okay. Idaho was better, there's no doubt Trayvon Allen would have been a first-teamer. And possibly up there for MVP, especially seeing how terrible the rest. No, I'm not gonna say terrible, but how little the rest of the team was doing. That without Trayvon Allen, just imagine how this season could have gone. Imagine if we were a little bit better. But I think Lance kind of hit it on the head. At some point, your team's gotta be winning to win some awards. If you're losing, it, it's you know okay, cool. You're you're the best player on a bad team, but does that mean you would actually start on Eastern or Weber or you know some of Montana? So. I definitely think he probably should have been a first team, but I think the team, in a way, let him down. So I think he's easily probably your first pick at second team, at least mine. Yeah, I, I'm similar with you guys. Of uh, Trayvon, I, so when I made the Montana Mints all-league all teams last year, I did not include Trayvon on any team either because he averaged like 13 points on like 12.7 shots, which is, that just means that he's, he's putting up enough shots that it's hard to not average double figures. He he took some huge steps this year um, in in not just being a volume scorer, being being an efficient scorer. The downside is, you know, if you're assigning value to that and Idaho wins four league games, um, you know, without Allen, we would probably have won zero. But then we we just move from... We we were very close to finishing 11th place anyway. Um, We finished 10th. But I, I suppose if you're trying to weight value, um, that is where it gets knocked against him. Uh, but la- before we transition out, we so we un- as a group, we've said Mason Peeling, Jonah Radabaugh, Saeed Pridget, Harold Frey, Jarek Harding. That's five. And typically it's a six person team. Lance, if this is a six, if we're doing a six person team, who's your last last first team member? Holland Woods in a heartbeat. Uh, you know, man, he is one that is tough to me, which is, I'd, I'll probably put him there. Holland Woods, 17.8 points per game. Uh, second league in assists at 5.1. Plus, Portland State finished their fourth, right? I believe yeah, they finished fourth. They've won, si- they've won set- six straight, my bad, six straight games to finish the year to get to 18 and 14, 12 and 8. They went oh. on a tear. They were 12 and 14 after losing to Eastern Washington on February 15th. They were looking dead in the water. Yeah, we beat them at home, and I was just floored watching them, wondering, like, I, I, I know that I've listened to people talk about how difficult their press was, but their press gave us easy shots. Yep, if you so beat it's, it, it's easy. Yes, so for us, I was watching them thinking, like, have they, have they not realized that, like, if we get a two-on-one, that's a 9,000% increase on our shot quality? Uh, but, yeah, Portland State finished fourth. You know, I guess I'm with you there. Uh, Holland Woods is our last first team member. 
a lot of guards that's the big sky and just uh low to mid-major league you're probably not going to have a ton of forwards that are your all all league first team because if you had elite forward talent you wouldn't be a low to mid-major you'd okay you'd question packed. though is saeed pridget a guard or a forward he's scared to shoot threes he's a forward in my mind yes he is our one forward we have okay, one good. Post. just making sure we have one post and one forward, and then essentially four point guards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, that that's what I want to go over. And then also for our next team, we'd reference Trayvon would have been in there. So we just went over yeah. that five of the top seven guys are point guards. Right, and then you throw in Cam Shelton from NAU. He's another guy you can make an argument for second team. Then it gets into more guards. Yeah, guys like Kendall Manuel. Um, yep. You know, for our listeners, um, I, I'm curious how our team compares to the all-league team. Um if I were gambling, I would presume that Jonah Radabaugh actually would be the guy just because of the defensive part. Yeah, uh, and, and you, it's safer to take a guard. Absolutely, it's safer to take a guard, uh, especially when we just went over five of the top seven guys are point guards. Yep. Uh, but, uh, yeah, in our defensive our defensive player there will probably be Jonah Radabaugh. Um, that one I think it's kind of hard for people to actually assign anything to. Um, and he's reputationally very good. I, I can't tell you who I think the uh, top defender would be other than him. Uh, to me, or, it goes to the guy that doesn't win Big Sky MVP. That's how they're going to do it. So if Peatling wins it, Radabaugh gets defensive. If Radabaugh wins MVP, they'll somehow give it to Peatling. Okay. I am not going to argue that. That sounds about right. Um, so, we transit. so that means, since we've got our teams done, Lance, um, have you looked at the bracket for the Big Sky tournament? I have. Actually, I have it pulled up right now. So we're, for the sake of our listeners, um, if you are not interested in the full Big Sky preview, we're going to talk Idaho first. So then if you want to fast forward after we're done talking to Idaho, go ahead. Um, but we will spend a decent amount of time talking about the bracket as a whole. Uh, but oh, to I'm lead into, off. I'm into that totally. And I'll talk about Southern Utah if you want. I love making fun of that team. Uh, you're, you're, you're among friends. <laughs> uh, yeah so uh first round games begin wednesday for men uh game one weaver is the eight nine weaver versus sac state the winner of that plays eastern uh game two is us uh versus southern utah it's likely that tip off will be noonish uh if the if the first game tips off at 9 30 a.m which it does uh, our game will be noonish that'll be on pluto tv um, number seven, Southern Utah versus number 10, Idaho. The game following is NAU, Idaho State. Lance, did you catch, and I'm, I'm sure you did because I don't know if there's anything else to do in Flagstaff. Did you catch both those the Southern Utah, Idaho games in the regular season? I did catch one of them. I don't remember which because I was likely covering an NAU game. And the only other thing doing in Flagstaff is camp or drink. So you're not wrong. <laughs> I've actually never been to Flagstaff. I was just uh, I was um, just guessing that if you are the type of person like me who will sometimes live tweet Big Sky games, it's because option B is not yet there. I thought oh, yeah, I have had I have ski- zero life. I thought it had like skiing. Does it not even have skiing? Oh yeah, there's like one of the tallest peaks in the country here. But like I don't ski. I'm tall and lanky. I'm six three one fifty. I'll die skiing. Hey, that's an Olympic skier body right there. If you you put that's on the fine. frame. <laughs> I'm a baby giraffe. That's fine. <laughs> graceful. Graceful. <laughs> um, so in our two games against Southern Utah, first was back at January 27th in Moscow. We lost by 28 points, 73 to 45. 
However, we recovered, and on February 29th in Cedar City, we lost by 32, 87 to 55. Uh, so in some ways, first off, it would have been much better for Idaho for the Big Sky Tournament if we'd lost and we were playing Northern Arizona. Thoughts, Lance? Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, you lost to NAU by 17, and you lost to them by, what's the other score, 77-72, five points. So, I mean, yeah, just by the law of scoring margins, you would have been better off playing NAU. Yeah, and for our listeners, if you didn't do that math, uh, losing by 28 and 32, that's an average 30-point loss at Southern Utah. Uh, Sorry, against Southern Utah. So, um, you know, Ken Palm, uh, they have probabilities of – who will win the big sky and also in advancing um, Idaho is given a 16.2% chance to win our first round game against Southern Utah. And if we were to win, we're given a 1.1 chance to advance to the semi to the semis. Yeah. This is where Chris has to, uh, to backtrack a bit. I know, I know all year. I keep telling you guys, this team is going to upset somebody in Boise in front of our fans at the tournament. Although I think as you just picked up, out of just about everybody we could have drawn against, we picked the one team we've had zero competitive games with. It's hard to beat a team. Uh, it's hard to beat a team three times in a year. But man, I, I'm not sure we're gonna pull this one off. I mean, for Christ's sakes, we beat Eastern, but <laughs> and, and played them close twice. We played Montana close twice, but Southern Utah just has our number. So uh, please, no adding me on. Or it'll be Friday morning after they play, and everyone's like, I thought you said we'd win one of these games. Well, there's 10 other teams, and we literally could have would have done better against nine other ones, I think. That's my opinion well, on it. Well, I welcome the whole state of Idaho to come at me because I, this is the absolute worst matchup that could have fallen for Idaho. Southern Utah just matches up well. They're, we all know they're good defensively, and they just so happen to learn how to shoot threes when they play Idaho, which is exactly what makes Southern Utah a good basketball team, if they can actually shoot threes. I've just been pumping everybody full of these lies all year, apparently. I just keep telling them, hang in there. Well, we play tough. We'll upset somebody in the tournament. That's what you have to look forward to. Now the tournament's rolled around. I'm like, ooh, ooh, I lied. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah and, you know, to, to go with Lance's point, uh, Southern Utah had the best field goal percentage defense in, in the league team shot on average 40.3% against them. You know, the, the downside for Southern Utah is they have, I mean, we're a worse shooting team than Southern Utah, but that's about the comparison. Um, but we, we pit the wor- the best scoring defense against, you know, look, we made 35.9% of our threes, which is misleading. We only made 92 threes on the year. Trayvon made like half of those. If Trayvon isn't making five threes, like we just have no no shooters who can stretch the defense at all. Um, and Southern Utah suddenly their inability to make shots look. I mean, and they made shots against us. But let's say for a second, you know their um, their brick making ways come back. We are uniquely the team positioned to punish them the least for not make not being able to shoot from three because we we certainly don't turn that into an advantage on our own. Exactly. To beat Southern Utah, you got to get them out of the half court. And Idaho has struggled to actually get in transition this year, other than the NAU game and maybe a handful of others. Brian, you've watched them a lot more than I have, sadly. So really, <laughs> yeah. really, if you get Southern Utah in transition, you can beat them. Their defense is phenomenal, elite in the half court, best in the conference. But as soon as they get in transition, you get buckets, you can get ahead of them because their offense lags behind. 
Yeah, they're they're the Big Skies version of New Mexico State, which is point. their. That's a good comparison. Yeah, they're they're transfer heavy. No, I mean sometimes it's JUCO, but they're, you know, to double down on this analogy, there are New Mexico State, but they're also kind of a last chance U in that they, they actually get a decent amount of transfers from pretty good basketball schools. They're yeah, top scorer. A lot of former a lot of former, former four star guys. Yeah, like they're you know they have Dwayne Morgan. Um, the highest rated recruit in all of the big sky who's back for sixth year due to injuries. He started out UNLV. Uh, their leading scorer is Cameron Louiton who came from, he transferred in from Boise state. Um, I believe John Knight, the third, he's their other, their next leading scorer. I, I'm pretty sure he's a Juco, um, but you know, they have, he spent um, Andre- time at U- actually, he spent time at Utah state. Nah, okay. I lied. He's a Utah state um, refugee. Then we have on they have their post on Andre Adams. He averages ten points a game. He's a transfer from Arizona State. Um, they have they have athletic talent in a way that some teams in the in the league don't have. Uh, now the other issue is they can't shoot. And uh, you know sometimes I, you know Lance, tell me if you get this impression watching them. Um, part of why they don't capitalize on their talent is they look like a collection of transfers that like it takes them all year to have good rhythm with each other, um, particularly on the, on, on offense. And like you said, you know, they're a team where if they get in transition where, um, you know, when you transition defense more so than half court, uh, you, you really do need to be able to reliably guess what your other guys are going to do um, in react, you know, it, against the, the oncoming offense and the areas where it looks like people just need to be used to playing with other guys. That's where Southern Utah isn't as strong. But again, um, Idaho offensively, we'll have to play like our game of the year to be able to exploit that at all. Yeah, I think you're completely dead on. They do play like a bunch of guys that are learning to play together. They only have a handful of guys that have played together multiple years and also maybe two or three homegrown talents. Dre Marin being the best of them. He's also their best shooter, coincidentally. Another guy that I really like because, you know, he's from the Valley. He's from Phoenix. I'm from that area, so I'm kind of biased. He's a good player. But then they got guys like John Knight, like Andre Adams, that just they're still learning to play together, and it takes time. Luckily, a lot of these guys outside of Dwayne Morgan, Cameron Olitan are juniors, so next year Southern Utah could be something. But guess what? That's not ne- this isn't next year. So we got to see how these guys can develop after beating somehow beating Montana in Missoula. So maybe Idaho gets the Montana hangover that seems to have happened after a team beats Montana. They don't win another whatever. So how much money are you putting on Idaho winning? I would not bet over $75. <laughs> and that's a lot of money for myself to bet as a poor sports reporter. Yeah, I'm not betting a penny. Um, you know, <laughs> full disclosure, guys, it's a Vandal podcast. Our our championship was beating Idaho State and not being last in conference. We're not – I don't think we're going to beat Southern Utah. Yeah. Um, Chris, your thoughts? No. I, like I said, I – I've pumped it all year, um, but uh, I literally think uh, every other team, there's 10 other teams we could have got matched up against. I mean, I sound like a broken record here, but, I mean, just Southern Utah has been the only game all year we've not been competitive once again. Uh, I mean, Montana was close twice. It's just, it's hard to beat a team three times in a year, but, man, it's just, this was totally, we would have been better off when we kind of covered this, alluded to it earlier. Losing and playing NAU against Idaho State, but 
Yeah. That, Idaho State, though. That was a uh, – for for the gamblers out there, I I thought the 145 over line was perfect. Took Smashed that under. So much stress at the end of the game. But uh, Idaho was a one-point dog, so they pulled it out. The money line was good. But I did not think Idaho, Idaho State could put 145 points up on the – like against Idaho State, there is a really good shot that Southern Utah is going to beat us by 145 points. Yeah, it's on the table. Uh, well, they beat us by 60 in two games, guy man. So I know that's hyperbole. It's not that much hyperbole. Um, you know, Vandal season likely ends uh, in round one, games at noon. Um, you know, if, if we're wrong, I'll be ecstatic to talk about in next week's episode, the mini run we made, even if we win, of the next teams we could play. We're, again, uniquely set up where Northern Colorado is the worst matchup. So we're, we're just not going to advance. And well, even if we did, we'd be losing in the next round. Yeah. Plus, every um, time I predict us to lose, we win. So Eastern Washington football, Eastern Washington basketball. Idaho State basketball. Every time I predict us to win, we lose. Montana in bas- or football, Weber State in basketball. So, hey, I'm saying we're going to lose, so we'll probably win. So may- maybe go put some money on the game. <laughs> now, we obviously should have led with that as our analysis. <laughs> Whatever Chris says, the opposite happens. Yeah. Yeah, no, went over points and all that, you know, best players, all that scoring margin. No, no, throw it out the window. Chris, who's going to win? Okay, it's the other guy. Um <laughs> We're going to shift over now, uh, listeners, to talk about the bracket as a whole. So, obviously, we'd love to have you stay here. But if you're just here for the Idaho news, this is the time to fast forward. Um, Lance, you have the bracket up in front of you. Um, first off, I want to talk about Eastern Washington's side of the bracket. Okay. They play the winner of Weber State, Sac State. The other um, quarter – yeah, it'd be a quarterfinal game. The other quarterfinal game is Portland State, Montana State's. Um, I'm going to say Eastern definitely has a favorable bracket to make it to the to the championship. I think they do, and that's kind of as expected as the one seed. They also got the benefit of playing some teams that they should easily beat. Montana State, if they somehow beat Portland State, they're just not a good basketball team, and they can't. If they allow a team to score 70, they just automatically lose. And guess what? Eastern Washington does. They score like 90 a game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they get the winner of Weber State, Sac State. If I'm Eastern Washington, I really hope that it's weird to say this, but like for some reason, Sac State was competitive with Eastern. I can't explain why because I watched Sac State and I just thought they were terrible. Sac State um, plays teams ugly, and if they can make a team like Eastern that's predicated on ball movement play slow and ugly, Eastern's bound to miss some threes. Which they are. It's just Sac State has no scores. I mean, no. again, against us, they looked uh, – look, we beat Sac State in Sacramento. Um, then we lost in Moscow. We lost by 11, but it might as well have been 29. Um, if I'm Eastern, I probably want Weber State to win, um, but I also am hoping Jarek Harding is hurt, um, so he's not 100%. As a non-Eastern fan, I certainly want Weber State to win because I just like games that are fun. And Weber State is a guard-centric team. Um a much better watch than Sac State. So um, I'm taking Weber State in the first game over Sac State. What about you? I hope they win, and I do think they win because I think we've mentioned it throughout this podcast so far. The Big Sky is predicated on guard play. If you have good guard play, you're going to advance, and that's what Weber State have. They have a Jared Harding. 
if they if he goes off, if Cody John goes off, they can make a run as an eight seed. I think they're the most scary team this freaking tournament. Yeah, and Cody John, for listeners, um, we already went over Jarek Harding. He led the league in scoring 22.5 a game. Uh, Cody John's their other senior guard. He averaged 16.9 points a game. Um, so it's kind of wild that they had two of the top seven league scorers and they finished eighth in an 11-team conference. But, um, I mean, that's that's just how they were. They had some other injury issues this season. They struggled but, defensively. They Losing yeah. Breckett Chapman to graduation killed them because they didn't have a big to replace him. Breckett Chapman was a really good shot blocker, even though he was only 6'7". He really, really helped them a year ago, and he was kind of like that important piece that they're missing. Yeah, they, they've just kind of been a little bit off the last couple of years as a whole, which is kind of odd because last year they are one of the more talented teams. Then they lose in the second round to Montana by like, or maybe it was the semis, they lost to Montana. They lost to Montana by like 40 in the tournament last year yeah but montana also just decimated everyone last year because that team was just that type of good <laughs> they were but still like we were we were we talked about southern utah having talent and not capitalizing on it yeah, yeah that's that was, weaver yeah it's weaver it's it's that's a weaver. different it's a different scope because you know even on a down this is one of the worst weaver teams in a while and they still seem dangerous so like you know even when they suck they're not atrocious but, you know, they, they, I don't think they capitalized on the talent they had last year. And they're certainly, um, to me, their ceiling is winning game one. I don't think they're going to win against Eastern. I think, uh, realistically, for Eastern to be threatened outside the championship, Portland State has to beat Montana State. Yep, totally agree with you. And I think Portland State does beat Montana State. I like that matchup for Portland State. They swept them in the regular season series. Montana State, outside of Harold Frey, they're not very good at basketball. No, and they are the they made the second we made the fewest threes in the conference. Montana State made the second fewest threes in the conference. That's with Harold Frey, who's a good shooter. Yeah. Uh, they were like they were like I mean, they were Montana State was like a better version of Idaho. Um they got they've got one guy who's pretty good, except they had a few more contributors. They actually had post scorers that could score. Bello is a legit good player. Jabril Bello, I believe is how you pronounce his first name. He is a redshirt first year sophomore, whatever the heck he is. He's actually yep. good. And he can score in the post consistently, and that's what helps them. Yep, sophomore 14.2 points a game in conference. Um, and then they had Amin Adamu at 12.6. Um, so they had they had a couple guys who could put up who who could score in addition to Frey. Uh, but we just went over essentially the entire team. Yep. Um, I expect Portland State wins that too, and I expect Eastern kind of cruises into the championship because I, I I just don't. I don't think really anyone on their side of the bracket is much of a threat. Montana losing those last couple games really threw Montana um, into a rough situation. When you look at they controlled their own destiny, they could have been the number one seed. Whereas if you throw Eastern the bottom half of the bracket, which we'll get into in a second, losing in the um, semis definitely on the table, but losing in the quarters kind of on the table too if they're in that half of the bracket. Uh, but Eastern's not. So uh, I think we're both in agreement. Eastern's going to have to face plant to not make the championship. Oh, I totally agree. Holland Woods, if they play, if they meet in the game eight, whatever it is on Friday, Holland Woods would have to go off. Harold Frey, if it's him, Jared Harding in the quarters or whatever, that first round game, those guys would have to go off and have like historic days. Yeah. And I, I just don't think, I just don't think it's going to happen. 
Um, no. Moving into the set. So just put a button on it for listeners. Top half of the bracket, which has Eastern, Weber, Sac State, Portland State, Montana State. Eastern should walk through that bracket. Um, bottom half, I mean, can which you really, has. I don't know. Sorry. You I'm go just, first. I know they're down this year, but can you really say that there's a. Like, I, I think as far as every trap game you could possibly see here, like. Yeah, NAU might have a shot against Montana if they pull it off. Idaho State, 100%, I don't think is going to upset Montana. I don't think Southern Utah or Idaho are going to beat Northern Colorado. But, I mean, if Weber State gets past SAC, I wouldn't say Weber State is – like I don't think they're totally going to get blown away by Eastern. I I think that's like a very sneaky eight seed just because it comes down to – I mean, they've been there and they've done that. Yeah. It, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think it's they're necessarily going to walk through. I do th- agree with you that I think maybe their game against Portland State and Montana State is going to be easier, but I actually think the Weber State game could be a bit of a trap, especially because I know it's always this age-old argument when you're talking about tournament games. Is it better to have be coming off one game like, you know, rest? Or for Weber State, if they, if they get past Sac State, I don't think Sac State can beat Eastern, but if Weber can beat them or beat Sac, then they're warmed up. They're feeling, you know, a little bit of the juice. They've got one tournament game under them. I don't know. I I agree with you that Eastern should move on, but I wouldn't say it's for sure. I actually think they have the toughest first-round matchup out of anybody coming out of the bracket. So, Chris, I think it is the second most likely quarterfinals upset. Yeah. Second most likely. And we'll get to what my first most likely is in a little bit, I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> and, and, you know, Chris, you, thank you for slowing us down on that a little bit. Um I guess what I would say is, to me, that's the toughest game, likely, that um, Eastern would face, is Weber. Because I I don't think the Portland State-Montana State is really much of a threat. Whereas when you look at the bottom half of the bracket to make it to the championship, um, each of, you know, Montana and Northern Colorado have to beat each other uh, to make, to advance. And Eastern, look, Weber State, they have, we just went over that they have two of the top seven scorers in the league. And you would think a team with two real strong guards who are their scorers, they'd be one of the better scoring teams in the league. They're not. They're the number eight scoring team in the league. And then uh, defensively, they are number eight as well. So they're, they're bottom half on both, both offensively and defensively. So, like, I don't disagree that Weber has talent to play above that. Uh, their big issue is that Jarek Harding's been hurt. And, you know, if if a single team in this conference needed a first-round bye, it's probably Weber for that rest, and they're not going to get it. 100%. I think I want to use this game as an example, if you're okay with it. Eastern beat Montana earlier in the season in overtime, 87-85. What it took was a 32-point game from Jarek Harding, a 19-point game from Cody John, and an 18-point game from Michael Kozak, who doesn't score that much if I do not, if I'm remembering correctly. He's not a prolific scorer. It took all of that for them to beat Montana, the three seed. You're correct about Kozak. He's not a top 30 score in the league. Um, there, Weber, Weber has the number one score, the number seven score, then no one, uh, no, no one be- above the number 30th score. So uh, circle last point on, on that half of the bracket, Chris, you're right. Weber state is probably the toughest game for Eastern. It's just that I think having to beat Sac state with Harding hurt and needing rest will 
increase the likelihood that Eastern doesn't get Weber's best shot. Yeah, because what Weber only lost in the regular season to East uh, Eastern only lost or beat Weber in the regular season by two points and like seven or eight points maybe. Yeah, they nine just points. won by about eight. So yeah, so I mean a two point and a nine point game. Yep. I'm just saying, it's sneaky right there. I Eastern should advance, but I'm just saying I'd rather be maybe like I don't know Montana. I mean, Eastern almost lost to Idaho, so you really never know what this big, what this conference. Eastern lost to Idaho. So that... Oh, yeah. my bad. My apologies, I forgot about that one. My bad. So well, great, I understand the point. almost, good and point. we can go into the statistical anomaly of that game if we want to. But uh, second half, so we already went over. We think Southern Utah is going to beat Idaho in Game Two, which would give us Northern Colorado, Southern Utah, uh, the other first round game, NAU, Idaho State, um, Lance. You know, give us 60 yeah. seconds or so on uh, NAU-Idaho State. So we just spent a lot of time talking about how Southern Utah was the worst matchup for Idaho. Well, this is the worst matchup for NAU that they could have gotten at anyone in the first round. Idaho State basically almost beat NAU twice. NAU should have lost in overtime in Pocatello. They lost at home in Flagstaff to back-to-back years, may I add, to Idaho State. This is the worst matchup. Idaho State is a small pretty athletic team that can make good on their size and it gave NAU problems. This is going to be a tough matchup. I got to figure out how to write a preview of this story of this game pretty soon as of the day of this podcast being recorded. And I'm trying to figure that out myself. NAU should win, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be close. It's not going to be tough. Sorry. It's going to be very difficult for NAU to win this. It's going to be close. It may go into overtime knowing the way these two have played each other. It's been by single digits, basically almost one possession each game. If, I, if I'm looking at my numbers right, this is going to be close. And NAU should win, but, man, they could get upset. I have no idea how Idaho State is competitive with NAU because when I've watched Idaho State, look, I mean, they play hard. They, they, they have a kind of motion offense that I appreciate because they're not trying to get a ton of ISO post-ups, thank God. Um, but they, they lost a lot of talent when Bill Evans was fired. And by the way, I think firing Phil, Bill Evans was the right call. Um, but they look, they don't have any guy that I'd consider for first or second team, uh, all big sky. So I'm, I'm thinking I expect NAU should win this, but based off what you told us, it, there's a good chance it's closer than people imagine. Uh, Northern Colorado, Southern Utah, what's your take on that, Lance? I think Northern Colorado wins that game. I don't think it's relatively tough for Northern Colorado to win, but you never know with Southern Utah. If they hit 10 threes, it's going to be a close game. But it really shouldn't be that hard. I think Northern Colorado swept the season series over Southern Utah by what I'm seeing as eight points and then another game by two points. So it's going to be single digits, but I think Northern Colorado should win. Yeah, I'd go Northern Colorado here as well. Uh, it's one of those weird things with Southern Utah. Um Northern Colorado is pretty aggressive about running teams off the three-point line, but if you never, if you don't make your threes when you shoot them, you don't want to shoot a ton of threes. Um, yeah. So it's kind of a weird matchup there. I would pencil in Northern Colorado. Uh, big thing is I, I mostly have faith that if this is Jeff Linder's last stand in Northern Colorado, which I wouldn't be floored if he were offered like the Wyoming job. I heard that rumor as well. I yeah. saw that tweet. Yep, uh, wouldn't be floored if he if he were offered a job out of Northern Colorado after the rebuild he's done here. Um, I expect they'll get a first round win. By the way, Ken Palm um, puts 
Northern Colorado is the most likely winner of the Big Sky Tournament. They say Ken Palm's got a 37% chance to win the whole thing. Eastern Washington, 21%, and Montana, 15.5%. Um, if we if Northern Colorado wins, then we're at the Montana, either NAU, Idaho State. Um, I'm just going to say for our sake, let's say it's NAU, because if it's Montana, Idaho State, I don't think it's close. Um, Montana, NAU, um, what's your take, Lance? NAU is a weird matchup with Montana because it's actually of the top three teams, Northern Colorado, Eastern Washington, Montana. Montana is the best matchup for NAU. So this is actually the second round couldn't have fallen any better. NAU can beat Montana and they've done it once and they almost did it in Missoula. The second game of the big sky, or the first game of the big sky season, my bad for each of the teams. NAU only lost 79, 72. They were one of they're one of many teams that have played Montana very close, and I think they can beat them. They've shown the how to do it. They can beat them in the second round and punch a ticket to the semifinals with an interim head coach. Which we may get back to that later. Uh, Montana ended the season uh, two game losing streak. Montana also look their top two scorers are Saeed Pridget and Kendall Manuel. It's about thirty six points between those two. Um, then there's a pre- there's a pretty big consistency drop off after their top two guys. Oh, um, massive! I think you know. Let's say for a second we have to pick a top three seed that doesn't get out of the uh, semi out of, that doesn't get out of the quarterfinals. To me, if I'm picking um, out of either Eastern, Northern Colorado, or Montana to not advance, I'm I'm probably picking Montana to not advance. But I I think. If I were to put money on the game, I'd I'd say I'd pick Montana over NAU. Yeah, I'm in the exact same boat. I think Montana is the least likely of the top three teams to advance to the semifinals if they play, if assuming the other game behind it goes chalk and the high seed wins, then I think Montana is more likely to lose to NAU than Eastern is to lose to Weber. But at the same time, I'm not Mm. betting any money on that. I will take Montana in a heartbeat to win that game. Yeah, Montana also... They finished third in the league in scoring at 74 points per game, but um, to me that's kind of deceiving. Whereas, if they're not look, if they're not getting solid games out of their freshmen, and if Saeed Pridget is having to be a volume shooter, that team can score around 50 points. Yeah, they're incredibly beatable if that exact scenario happens, and that's what happened when they lost to NAU. It was 57-56. I sat through a slugfest and ugly basketball game that I hated watching, but man, NAU somehow won that. Yeah, so I guess we're... So it sounds like we're really compelling content. We're in agreement that there's a very good chance our semifinal is Northern Colorado, Montana, Eastern Washington, Portland State, which is just the top four seeds. Unfortunately, yes, I think we're agreeing that it is chalk in the semifinals. Um, Northern Colorado, Montana, who would you take? Man, I hate picking Montana, but I think they could pull that off in a way because they can shut down Northern Colorado shooters. I think they can make Northern Colorado similar in that they have to rely on Radabaugh to be a high volume scorer and then no one else does anything. See, this is where we're gonna differ. Um, I'm gonna take Northern Colorado, not because I, and listeners may be shocked. Now, Lance, you don't have to know this, but there's a contingent of our listeners because I have some, I grew up a Montana fan. Um, okay. Meaning there are times during the football season when Montana happened to be good and we happened to not be good. 
where there were some people who believed that I was a closet Montana fan. And <laughs> that is kind of correct, but it's not like I'm not a Montana fan over Idaho. Um, here is going to be the opposite. Montana, well, they just recently lost at home to Northern Colorado. And Northern Colorado swept the season series, to be brutally honest, <laughs> against Montana. Yes, they did. Um, yeah, they won... 74-66. Yeah, 74-66 in the first game, and then 71-64, so pretty dang close. And uh, what I'll say for Montana, really they have to have Saeed Pridget be an efficient scorer, and then uh, Derek Carter-Hollinger. Either Derek Carter-Hollinger or... Jared Samuelson, one of their – they have a handful of guys who kind of Josh rotate. Vasquez, Josh Vasquez as well, the freshman guard. Yeah, they have they have about three or four guys who rotate being the number two scorer on that team. Yeah. Um, one Those guys, they need some pretty good production out of those guys. Now, in the most recent loss, Carter Hollinger had a solid game, scored 15 points, but the, the other reliable guy from Montana, Kendall Manuel – only scored two. He's the guy who's going to be guarded by uh, Jonah Radabaugh. And also, Kendall Manuel is a good player, but he he has a little bit of the Trayvon Allen from last year uh, streak of taking a little bit too many tough twos in my mind. Um, and that's the kind of guy who in a tournament game, well, that's, that's a guy who can, I don't want to say a college guy shot his team out of the game, but I, I'd say Kendall Manuel, I wouldn't be floored if he has another rough time against Northern Colorado. Knowing the way they guard perimeter guys, I think he absolutely will struggle, and Montana would absolutely need production from Jared Samuelson, from Derek Carter-Hollinger, Josh Vasquez, any of those other guys. Mac Anderson is a big. They need some extra production to make up for Manuel, because even against NAU, he takes a lot of contested twos, and I hate that shot with a passion. Now, in his defense, Kendall Manuel was a real good scorer this year. Yes. Uh, averaged around 16 points a game, and his, he shot a pretty. And th- man, this is the thing that's just hard to talk about. Is he he shot a lot of contested twos, but he shot 47% on the season. Um, so yeah. he made a lot of tough shots. I mean, my big picture thing is, I sometimes wish Montana would do what I say I wish Idaho would do: is get rid of the guys and get rid of the ISO post ups and let wings be aggressive in an open floor. Um, yeah, and but, uh, that's that's their biggest issue. When they let side, when they go hero ball with Saeed Pridget, that's where they fall apart. That's Montana's biggest issue this year. And Saeed Pridget doesn't get the effortless mismatch this year like he got last year, where looked like the third or fourth best defender was guarding Saeed Pridget last year, and the guys he could kick out to were first team all league talents. Exactly. He, it's just it's not the same team this year. Um, so let's you know. Tell me how you feel about this. We're gonna, we've we've more or less penciled in Eastern as winning their side. Um, I would say I'd expect Northern Colorado to beat Montana, but let's go through both matchups. Eastern versus Montana, who wins? Eastern wins that in a heartbeat. Say in a heartbeat. I, I think it'd be tough. I think, I think Eastern may struggle in the championship because uh, both Northern Colorado and Montana are pretty strong defensively. Right. I, I understand that to a point. Eastern, you do. They have ways that they know how to shut down Eastern. Eastern has struggled against both of those teams this year. But I'll say, look, if I'm Eastern, I want to play Montana over Northern Colorado uh, because I think the floor 
for northern Colorado is much higher than the floor for Montana. Um, I, I think northern Colorado is solid enough on offense and pretty good on defense that I would probably pick them to, to beat Eastern head-to-head. But if it's, yeah. Monta- if it's Montana Eastern, man, I might go Eastern this year. It'd be a, it, By the way, if it's Montana Eastern, that's the third consecutive year that that's our championship game. I don't think it's going to be it that way, and I think Northern Colorado gets Jeff Linder an NCAA tournament berth. I think that'd be amazing to see as well, because Northern Colorado getting their first Big Sky title as well, if I'm not mistaken, I think that would be their first. I think that'd be really cool. And to see, it's always fun to see a team get their first and finally do it and kind of overshadow that perennial powerhouse like Eastern, like Montana. Yeah, Northern Colorado surprisingly made the tournament not that long ago, but it was vacated. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, and they also, Northern Colorado, they've just, they're a team that's weird and that they've been, um, they, they seem like they shouldn't be good, but like they actually are pretty good. Uh, you know, considering how they are with football, we talk about the long grass at Greeley and Northern Colorado is a, a football joke. Um, no, man, in basketball, they've been, it, it took Linder about a year or two to get the, to get that program turned around. Uh, looking at the numbers was actually just, he just went 11, 11 and 18 in his first year, 26 and 12 in 2018, his second year. It, yeah, took him, it was a real quick re- rebuild. Yeah. They won the CIT championship that year and off that momentum, uh, went 21, 11 last year, then 22 and nine this year. Um, yeah, man, they're Linder's a good coach. They're well coached and he makes it work with the talent. He has. Yep. He's absolutely a good coach. Um, and I suppose it's it, it just is not like a sexy champion to say like, hey, we think Northern Colorado is going to be the team. And broadly speaking, I tend to think it's better for the Big Sky when the bigger names win. Right. Um, but I mean, I think Northern Colorado is probably our best shot at winning a tournament game. I mean, according to Ken Palm, they have the highest chance. They're Ken Palm's highest rated team on Ken on the site out of the Big Sky at 75. They're a top 100 team on Ken Palm. They're good, according to the advanced analytics. In Northern Colorado, for like the generic, in terms of the big sky, this would be huge for them. Because out of every program other than maybe Southern Utah, they get crapped on the most. Is like if we drop teams, they're getting dropped. Being able to become like a basketball power or say, well, we won the basketball title in the last couple of years, like that'd be a huge thing for them to be able to start leaning on. And then at least. The conference come back. Well, we have to keep Northern Colorado because their basketball program is exciting. And well, let's see what Ed McCaffrey does for football. So I think overall for the conference, it, it helps because you get somebody new in there. Like you said, it's not Montana for the third or fourth year in a row or Weber State. And I I know that people like to think. I think if you pulled most people east of Colorado. They have no idea the difference between Northern Colorado and Eastern Washington. So in terms of the national perception of the big sky, like I don't think having a name like Northern Colorado is going to make us look like any worse than it would having a team named Eastern Washington. No. I, so the reason I say a bigger name, I just mean regionally. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah, no, I, 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 I got that. So I, I meant yeah. like, I meant as not necessarily in terms of your comments, but in terms of Northern Colorado, yeah, would help benefit them in the in their placement in the conference, being like, hey, we might not be a good football school, but, man, our basketball program is why I keep it. Must a lot like New Mexico State had a better shot of getting into, like, the Mountain West than we did because their basketball program was really good. 
So I think it would benefit them if this could be the pro thing that helps them become more of a contender in basketball, just so they don't get. I mean, they are the punchline of like every joke when it comes to dropping teams from the big sky. So I think it would be good for that fan base and alumni base. So that's why I, I guess I'm kind of pulling for them out of every team on there. Montana's won it before. Eastern hasn't been, I think, since what, like 2015, but still recently. Right. Weaver's got tons of history. I guess Portland State, Montana State would be kind of cool to see, but um, no, I just I I think you nailed it. Northern, it's nice to see not a power win it, and I think it would really it's out of every program, they're the one that could really use it the most. I also think for the Big Sky, look, just to get my to be real quick for listeners, uh, I think it's helpful for Big Sky programs that have support to maintain that inertia. Uh, so for Eastern, that's a team that has solid support at home, um, and they're trying to, to fundraise, build a new arena, build a new arena for football, or build a new stadium, or renovate their stadium. Uh, just any positive momentum is good for them in both basketball and football, which football is our main sport we talk about the most. But the biggest thing the Big Sky needs is they need a team that can threaten to win a tournament game, and I think Northern Colorado is probably that team this year. Yeah, I think you've talked me into it as well. I completely agree with that point. Northern Colorado with Radabaugh, with the way they play, they can potentially pull some random upset in the NCAA tourney. And they have other shooters with Radabaugh too. I mean, they would need, you know, like a great game out of Bodie Hume and Trent Edwards as well. But, like, there's a world where you can say, like, oh, Jesus, Northern Northern Colorado hit 23s. So, yeah, they won. Or they get into one of those uh, play-in games for, like, the 16 seed or something like that. That's still an NCAA win. Yeah, it's still a W. That's all that matters. Yeah. Um, I don't think and it gets be- the Big Sky national recognition because the Big Sky doesn't have a lot of national recognition right now in basketball. No, we haven't won a tournament game. It's been over 10 years. Wasn't Montana or Eastern Washington the last one to do it? It was Montana. That's uh, right. Back when Larry Kristoyak was their coach, which is yes. a long that's, time. In the, yeah, that's a game. The conference could use a little money from it too. So <laughs> it, should, yeah. it needs to happen. Yeah. NAU is trying to build a lot of things. They want all the yeah. money. Yeah, Idaho could use some improvements. Uh, we've already talked. Portland State could use a stadium. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Sorry, last Big Sky Conference win, 2006. Montana beats Nevada, 87-79. 14 years. Yeah, so I was right. It was more than 10. But, uh, yeah, man, it's been a long time. This conference needs a win. Um this year seems like a year that maybe we could get an OK seed. Uh, the downside, because the conference as a whole is better, the downside is the top of the conference was not is not as good as the top of the conference was last year. So um, I think we kind of have to hope the winner gets into one of the playing games. Yeah, I think you're right, Brian. You hit the nail on the head right there. Yeah. So uh, Lance, so we can put a button on Big Sky Conference Tournament. And head into the preview. I know you you wanted to be here for our offensive lineman. I just want uh, to listen to this. I'm curious. I'm here. I'm here to hear. I'm always wanting to listen to hear Brian talk about Idaho Vandals football. Yeah. Oh hell yeah, um, big uglies. Yeah. So first off, any any closing points you want to give us? I know you guys have an interim head coach uh, that is in a has actually been much more successful than our interim head coach, but yours yeah. has not been named a head coach. Uh, anything else you want to close? Just want to rant and say, I just want to rant and say, how the crap did that happen? That Idaho decided to actually put theirs on into ink and onto paper for a long-term head coach, and NAU has no decision made. 
And I've been told why, because NAU's AD doesn't like doing this midseason, but still baffles me, baffles me. Yeah, what's the win improvement uh, from Jack Murphy, who failed up into being an associate head coach at Arizona? The classic failing up. Yeah, and actually, he, co- he recently was the acting head coach in the game because Sean Miller got ejected. Fun fact. <laughs> it was Jack Murphy time in Tucson recently. Wow. And yeah, then you so- went from uh, 10 wins a season ago to 16 this year under interim head coach Shane Burkhardt. So for the listeners, that is six wins. That's a lot. And then you went from eight big sky wins to a whopping 10 this year, which is still a massive improvement. Yeah, especially when you consider how late in the game he became head coach. Yeah, but it was um, June, actually. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was the same timeline as uh, Zach Kloss. Uh, but you guys definitely had a, a. You guys had more going for you, so congrats. Um, I have no idea how Burkhardt has not been. I, I know you said there's an institutional rationale. I think it's lunacy that Burkhardt has not been named head coach yet. I, full disclosure, completely agree with you. I'm allowed to say my opinion on these things. So, yeah. I think it's complete asinine that he's not been kept on as, a, as the full head coach. He has Arizona ties. He coached high school basketball in Mesa, which is a suburb of Phoenix for Idaho people that don't know. He has ties to the state. He makes a lot of sense from that aspect. The players love the guy. I like him from a personal standpoint. He's good with media. I think he makes sense basketball-wise to be the head coach. And frankly, he's not going to be that expensive. And we're going to say... That's our closing point on Big Sky Basketball 2020. It's not that expensive. Uh, <laughs> before we get into the preview, uh, yeah, our positional preview of offensive linemen, Lance, it is your turn to be iced. Well, technically, right. he's icing us, but yeah. <laughs> I thought that's how it Okay, works. yeah. <laughs> yeah, which for listeners, Lance is going to ask us anything he wants, sports-related or non-sports-related, and uh, Chris and I will – do our best to answer without research. So like people on Twitter like to yell at me, I'm going to stick to sports. How much do you guys really care about spring football? Oh, Christ. I always say uh, that. Yeah, honest question. Answers. Honest question, man, because I hate it. Wait, are, we talking, are we talking like spring, like college spring ball? Are we talking like XFL, AAF? Oh, no, I'm talking Idaho Vandal spring football. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of which, shout out to the three Vandals that played against each other in the XFL this weekend. That was pretty dope. But, yeah, Brian, sorry. Take it away. My take on spring ball. There was a time where I could not have cared less about spring ball than anything else in the world. Um, but as I have moved further and further from my 21st birthday, um, I'm going to say – Look, spring ball, it's it's a mirage, but it's a needed mirage. As in, look, fall is unequivocally the most American and best season in the world. And part of, part of why it is the best season is because of football season. We are about to enter the long march in which we have, we have no, you know, if you're into big sky sports, you have no basketball and you have no real football until into August. This is a little reprieve. And Idaho, uniquely in our spring game, we do the first string versus the second spring string, which I absolutely hate. But you know what? I like the event of the spring game. Um, I like 
I like that, you know, we can say, hey, we've this is our official point at which we're going to not have anything else to talk about football for a while. Um, so I don't know. In terms of, let's say, if I'm going to rate it, I, I don't know, C minus, but it's a C minus that feels like a B plus during the spring game. Yeah, the thing I hate most about our spring game is that it, it it's more open practice than like a full out scrimmage. Um, I I wish they did like the when you turn on like ESPN and you know it's Oregon spring game or Georgia's and yeah maybe they're starting the ball in the forty and setting up stuff but I just feel like ours is always more of a practice than an actual scrimmage and I, this might surprise people for how gun-ho I am on everything football, but I actually am with Brian on this one. I could actually probably do just fine without a spring game. Um, I don't know when it became this big public spectacle, uh, especially when, at least at Idaho, they don't even charge tickets to go to it, so I honestly don't even understand the the point of it, but yeah, it just it doesn't really get me up. I mean, I'm excited to see some of the... The problem is, like, you view it, you're excited to see all these young players get a shot to play, right? But because you're just coming off recruiting, but 90% of the recruits you signed are high school guys. So, well, okay, so 70% are high school guys, and so they're not even going to be there. Like, I know everybody that's a Vandal right now probably wants to see what Caleb Jordan looks like. Caleb Jordan's not going to be on campus till June 10th. So, it, it's kind of like, it's very, you can get yourself hyped for it. When I was in college, I used to always get super excited for it, but I would always leave the game feeling pretty like, Oh man, I got like all week. I was super stoked for this, and I kind of feel empty because it doesn't feel like a game. You feel like you can just kind of watch practice. It's not really that intense. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm actually not a huge fan of of the spring football, but and grad transfers aren't there either. Yeah, so it's very bare boned, and a lot of like you said, and it doesn't really count towards position battles because so many freshmen are coming in, and usually every team has some freshmen. They get some kind of contributing role on offense or defense that you're not even seeing what your team's going to look like. And it's just absolutely terrifying when you see these people that get hurt in spring and summer ball and you're like, like, God, there goes a whole – like last year we had probably our, our fastest receiver we'd ever have until probably Chauncey Smart this year um, towards ACL. I believe it was in summer ball. But towards ACL, before we even got to see him take a snap for the Vandals, transferred out this year. So it's like – it sucks that we didn't even get to see him play in spring and then he got hurt in summer and never got to see him play in the fall. It's, I did I don't know. I know you got to practice. I'm not saying that, but yeah, I, I definitely don't get up for the fall, the, the spring game. But that being said, the whole tubs of the club crew is going to be there this, this year and we're going to be doing a live podcast. So, uh, hopefully we're wrong and a bunch of other people care about it. And with that ringing endorsement, <laughs> we could probably transition over to our offensive line preview, but, Lance, give us 15 quick seconds. You hate spring ball. Correct. Yeah, yeah I despise it. As a content creator, for someone that has to cover a football team full-time, I enjoy. I understand why I have to do it. I mean, NAU football, no one knows who the crap's going to play quarterback, so that's all I get to write about in spring football. Yay. <laughs> okay. Quarterback battles. Woo. That's what spring football is. It's quarterback battles. But if you're like Idaho, you've got a freshman coming in, so we don't really know what that will show us. And a grad Ooh. transfer. And a grad Whoa. transfer, that's true. All right. Uh, offensive line, 2020 offensive line spotlight. All right, guys, we're going to be honest with you. I don't know if you've ever seen Brian or I. We're not really offensive lineman type. 
So really bear with us. Plus, this one's going long already, so we're really going to rapid fire through these. This is going to be the quickest spotlight we do. But uh, we're going to go numerical instead of by class. So we're starting off with number 50, Noah Gunn, 6'5", 313-pound sophomore. He's an Air Force transfer, played in one game last year. Uh, number 54, which is weird. I've never – I don't think – 54 doesn't strike me as an offensive lineman number. It strikes me as like a linebacker. But 54, Logan Floyd, 6'4", 310-pound true junior, 11 starts last year. Then you have number 61, Bruce Burns, 6'3", 337-pound redshirt senior, two starts last year, six. 66, Connor Verba, 6'1", 303-pound redshirt senior, 11 starts as a freshman, 9 starts as a sophomore, only 6 starts last year, so going down, but a lot of that's due to a little bit of injury. Number 67, Kevin Eldridge, 6'1", 304-pound redshirt senior, no starts. 68, Seth Carnahan, uh, 6'7", 295 redshirt sophomore. That's a pull, uh, tackle right there. Uh, 69, nice. Nick Woods, 6'6", 338-pound. True sophomore, no start, so look for him to most likely be a redshirt freshman. Uh, Josh Gudzik, 6'6", 295-pound sophomore from Spokane, one start. Um, then you got numbers, so probably going to be a true fresh, uh, redshirt freshman. 71, Edward Grande, 6'5", 295-pound grad. The only guy to start in 12 games returning this year. Uh, then you got number 73, Darius Archie, 6'2", 295, redshirt junior. He got a lot of play late in the year last year. Five starts. 75, Matthew Fapusa, 6'1", 300-pound junior. Eight starts in 2019. He had 11 starts, however, in 2018. I believe he was dealing with the injury bug last year. Uh, 76, Riley Strally, 6'2", 292-pound true junior. Two starts, so he'll probably be um, redshirted as well. Then you have number 77, Brian Robinson, 6'4", 331 pounds. He had one start in 2019, but had seven starts in 2018. We brought in four guys through recruiting. Nate Azoparty, uh, Azoparty 6'3", 275 pounds from Junipero High School. Or, uh, yeah, high school. Uh, no, actually, I think that was a junior college. I broke high school, but Junipero Junior College. Uh, Elijah Sanchez. 6'5", 209 pounds, out of Palm Desert High School. Then you have Jory Dot, 6'5", 294 pounds, out of Colville, Washington. Then you have Chad Bagwell, 6'6", 331 pounds, from Sierra College. Obviously, the two guys we're looking to replace, uh, All-American Noah Johnson and Sean Toulette. Those are two pretty big names, but the one good thing is other than Noah Johnson... Um, in Edwin Grande, we really had, a, as you noticed when I was running through starts, we had some issues online last year with health and a little bit of performance to the point where we got a lot of guys that got to see some time. So, um, luckily I know when we were at media days last year, Brian, the one thing that, uh, coach Petrino kept saying was this line had the most returning snaps out of any line they'd had since the 2016 bull win we didn't they looked improved from 2018 but they did not look as dominant it was we probably would have hoped running through that list i mean yes noah johnson is going to hurt and sean Toulette is going to hurt but we have some guys that i actually thought were seniors last year so it's kind of nice to see this list and a lot of them like matthew fapusi should be a big time contributor junior darius archie redshirt junior um 
uh, Nick Woods, so, uh, uh, sophomore. It's uh, Kevin Aldridge. So it's like Connor Verba, big name. Logan Floyd, or, or yeah, Logan Floyd, 11 starts. And Noah Gunn's a guy we're expecting to make big moves. So there's, and Guzik. So, I mean, we've got a lot of guys um, that actually have playing time and significant playing time at that. I guess I'm curious from your point, who of these guys do you expect to be the starters, if you have any? Um, if not, I think I've got my starting five. Uh, and who do you expect to kind of take some leaps forward and try to fill Deshaun's, uh, Tillette, and Johnson? I'm going to let you handle the starters, man. Um, I, there's just no way for me to to give you guys an educated take on the, the who the, the starters will be. <clears throat> what I will say is last season, offensive line was expected to be a position of strength for us. And it actually, the, our offensive line actually performed a little bit worse uh, last season than it had the year before. Uh, we gave up 35 sacks, which is, was in, an increase over the year before, even though we had all the talent coming back. Um, you know, you were, Chris, you're correct in that injuries were an issue there. Um, but in addition to that, we're, we have an All-American. Uh, now, Noah Johnson didn't – he wasn't selected as an All-American last year. He was as a junior. But we have an All-American talent to replace. Um, so in the same way that last year – sorry, last week, we said, hey, linebacker, we're strong here. We, we know what we're getting out of here. I think offensive line is going to be a question again. Uh, I think – there's a chance that we somehow look improved if we can get better health, even though we lost Noah Johnson. Um, but depending on who our starting quarterback is, you know, if it turns out being Colton Richardson, we we need a real good line because Colton's not gonna Colton's not gonna be a guy well, he can, who can make he can plays block with his for himself. <laughs> yeah, it. the downside is is he has the ball too. Um, but you know, if we end up having a freshman, uh, CJ if CJ Jordan ends up being the starter. Um, obviously we don't want a freshman, uh, being under duress, uh, you know, a ton, a ton of time. Uh, but if we have Mike Beaudry, who's, who Mike Beaudry has done well, um, I mean, he did well D two, but he struggled at UConn cause he was sacked like one every 10 dropbacks. Um, you know, we're, we're in a world where if this team, if this, if this group doesn't materialize, uh, or, or show improvement over last year, uh, that could be a problem for us. Um, my expectation is that we'll probably be a little better than last year, uh, but probably not as good as in the preseason we hoped we'd be last year. Yeah. Um, I think look for what we were expecting last year to come more to fruition this year. It comes, it just comes down to being healthy. We have, like I said, a lot of guys coming back. Yes, we lost Sean Toulette and Noah Johnson, which were Johnson four-year starter, and I believe Toulette was the three-year starter. But now we have a lot of guys with a lot of snaps to the point where uh, my predicting starters, I'm going to say Noah Gunn makes the big move up this year, and he'll be get get a start. Um, then you're going Logan Floyd, Connor Verba, Edwin Grande, and Matt Fapusa. Um, I, I think those are your guys that are going to set up. The only one being really in question is going to be Noah Gunn, just because he did only get the one start last year. But, I mean, he is a guy that transferred in from Air Force, so there's got to be something there. He's athletic. Put him at guard. Let him pull. But... Uh, guys do expect to take big jumps, too, and fill in because offensive line, if you have an offensive line that stays healthy the whole year, I don't. I'm, I honestly don't think it's ever happened in any level of football where no offensive lineman's gotten hurt. Unfortunately, they're in a very not advantageous position where they have guys falling up down around their ankles and knees, and they have a lot of weight and are getting pushed backwards, so they're usually getting these blindside rolled up. So 
unfortunately, they get hurt more than probably any other position except maybe like a running back or wide receiver. So, who are just getting hit every play. So, it's good to have health. Darius Archie is a guy who's shown he can plug in, having multiple starts last year at five. I think Josh Guzik is a guy that you should expect to take pretty big leaps forward as he'll be a redshirt freshman going into this year. He, uh, on good accord, for those of you that know, follow FCS Fans Nation, Kelsey Hatch Barracks. Uh, husband is actually the athletic director of Josh's school. Literally said, class A guy in the classroom. I believe he had two FBS offers too. So, I mean, he's an FBS quality guy. I expect him to be a guy that they're expecting to take a little bit more steps forward this year. Then Seth Carnahan was a guy who had a lot of snaps last year. And then I think if you look at uh, guys who can be immediate contenders, I think Chad Bagwell is a guy who could actually probably get a start on the line to the transfer out of Sierra College at 6'6". Probably play a little bit of tackle. Maybe take Matt's spot, but I think Matt would be able to win it. Then you also have Nate uh, Azraparty, I think, is a guy that you could look at to maybe take some spots. And I know Coach Petrino talked really well about Jory Dots, the guy from Colville. He said that you know he really wanted a Colville Maniac on his team. He's wanted it ever since he came to Idaho, and he finally got a guy. Loves Jory's just tenacity. So I don't know if he'll start, but, I mean, those are four to five guys that you should expect if somebody gets hurt, can plug in. Now, obviously, Jory's a guy you probably would want to keep under four starts because lineman is a very imp- important position to have redshirts in because you want these guys to grow into. You want 22, 23-year-olds starting on your line, not 18-year-olds. Uh, anyone listening out there over the age of 23 knows how much bigger they are <laughs> at 23 than they were at 18 when they started college. So offensive line is a position you want weight, you want muscle, and you want – your knowledge to come up and, and your, you know, situational awareness, which is all things you just get with reps and being in the weight room uh, with course Sean or coach Sean horse. So I, I think uh, you expect Jory to not play a lot, but expect Chad to be a big player. But otherwise I think we actually have a pretty set in stone starting five with maybe Noah gun being the real big question where you could see maybe Chad Badwell or Darius Archie kind of getting into one of those spots. But all in all, I don't think Idaho's offensive line is going to take a step backwards this year. If anything, expect more of the same. And there is a chance that if they're healthy, they'll grow as the season goes and they'll put up better stats than last year, especially because I think last year's stats were actually deceiving compared to how much improved the team was from 2018 going into 2019 on the line. Woo. Who knew I could throw so much out about the offensive line with just a little bit of research? But Which, well, hold up. We, we can't miss this. Lance. What's your early take on the Idaho offensive line? <laughs> man, it sounds like you guys got some big bodies, but man, as long as you have a quarterback that can get the ball out quick enough and not hold on to it for 15,000 seconds, that makes an offensive line good. Hey, it worked against NAU. <laughs> exactly. For, that game for was our a listeners, record, That was not us who brought the dead horse back. We, we have moved on to the extent that we can. But thank you, Lance, for doing that, so I didn't have to. <laughs> You're so welcome. You're so welcome. Uh, but that... That is your 2020 Idaho Vandal offensive line. Um, all right. I don't think we have any hashtag AskTATCs. So we are going to move into closing the bar. Make sure you all tune in April 17th for at the spring game. Uh, it's going to be FCS versus FBS. We're going to have some special guests on. We're going to have... Uh, most of the tubs of the club team on, and we're just going to air the laundry, FCS versus FBS. Get it all off your chest, your pros, your cons. 
And then let's put that in the barn with the other dead horse we've been beating for the last two years and move past it. We're here. Uh, so let's enjoy it. And like I kind of brought up, uh, special shout-out, Austin Rico having a great game for the Houston Roughnecks last week. Uh, unfortunately, they topped in a controversial fashion the Seattle Dragons, which were had Ruben, Mo former wide receiver of the Vandals, Ruben Moella, and line former drafted linebacker Corey Toomer. So we got some vandals in the XFL, so make sure you tune in and check those guys out. Next week's position spotlight series, I'll actually be gone, everybody. So it's going to be Brian and the boat, Alex Boatman, breaking down your special teamers for the brand. Punters are people, too. We may have a super special guest for that one, but uh, cross your fingers. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you a hint. He's a punter, and he's a professional. Ask, uh, oh, everybody. How can they find you? Let's. They know how to find Brian and I, but Brian, why don't you remind them? They can find me at Chris underscore P underscore Hammond. They can find Brian at... That's at Brian Marceau, M-A-R-C-E-A-U. Listeners, remember, buy your Tubs of the Club apparel. Go to teespring.com slash store slash Tubs of the Club or just Google Teespring's Teespring Tubs of the Club. All our gear's there. Yep, and I've got like... 18 hours worth of plane rides here in the next week. So I'm going to have all the details, hopefully in two weeks for you guys on where we're going to be all the, we obviously we're selling apparel for it right now and everything. So uh, in two weeks, expect a podcast with all the details, and maybe a list of guests. So if you're interested, make sure you reach out on Twitter to me. We'd love to have you uh, maybe at the corner club, maybe in the tailgate lot, maybe at a fraternity or I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll find a place on campus somewhere and we'll, we'll have this little live podcast. We've been testing it all season. Lance, our special guest who even stayed in for football. You've got a lot going on, so tell the people how they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Lance, L-A-N-C-E underscore H-A-R-T-Z. Just the first couple letters of my last name. Yeah, beat reporter for the Arizona Daily Sun down in Flagstaff, Arizona. So if you want to hear anything NAU sports-wise, or if you're a degenerate and you like random local high school sports, follow me on Twitter. That would be me. <laughs> Make sure you also follow the Big Sky Podcast Network on Twitter. That's at Big Sky Podcast to make sure you stay in tune with all the BSPN developments uh, and you get all of our content throughout the season. Now it is time for the best band in all the land, the Sound of Idaho, to play us out. Go Vandals. Go Vandals.